Hey, hey, math moment makers. Today, we are going to be diving into this little thing called math talks. Some of you might call them number talks or mini lessons or warm ups. Today, we're going to talk a little bit more about these routines. We're going to talk about whether there's a difference between a number talk and a math talk or a warm up or a mini lesson. And if so, what are those differences? We're going to unpack those here with you today. Yeah, in this episode, we're going to unpack those and uh, what we believe to be the true elements of a math talk and how you can leverage the power of an effective math talk in your classroom on your next lesson. All right, before we dig in, my friends, Ali, cue up our music. Welcome to the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. I'm Kyle Pierce. And I'm John Orr, and we are from MakeMathMoments.com. We are two math teachers who, together, with you, the community of math moment makers worldwide who want to build and deliver problem-based math lessons that spark curiosity, fuel sense-making, and ignite your teacher moves. Yes, my friends, as we mentioned in the intro, we're going to be taking a dive today into this idea of math talks. Uh, many of you who are listening have probably heard of math talks or number talks or warm up routines. There's all kinds of different terminology. But today, we're going to try to dig in there a little bit more deeply. And we're going to try to kind of comb through some of the nuances because I'll be honest and say I thought I was doing math talks for many years. And the way I'm doing them now is very different than the way I was doing them five years ago or even eight years ago. So we're really excited to dive in there, John. This conversation I'm excited for because I'm curious to see many listeners who have listened to many episodes know that we don't teach in the same district. We just met online and we communicated and built a good rapport between us and we share our ideas back and forth and been doing that for years and years. So I'm actually curious to see what you think a math talk is versus a number talk and warm up routines versus what I'm doing because I know that you're spending a lot of time in the elementary middle school land and I'm a high school teacher whereas you're a consultant. So I'm curious to see what you've been doing. I'm going to compare, I think, with what I've been doing with math talks in my classes. So, Kyle, what are you seeing a math talk? And like, why should we talk about this today? Actually, I thought when we hopped online, I said, it would be great to actually have this discussion because just to kind of go to my day, reflecting on my day today, I had an opportunity to go into one of our elementary schools, one of our K through grade eight schools. And I got to go into, I think it was six different classes throughout the day and basically got to do some mini lessons, which is a resource. We'll talk about that resource shortly, but it really involves sort of a type of math talk. And a lot of educators sort of want to get a sense as to what it looks like and sounds like in action. In my district, we had been leveraging a book called Number Talks by Sherry Parrish and I think that was sort of like, at least in our district, and I think in your district, probably be pretty similar for the elementary teachers. That resource was sort of the, we'll call it like the math talk Bible for quite some time. That's what and it I was, was almost thinking. like, yeah, like that is what a number talk is. And maybe some of you listening are using that tool as well. And what a great tool to get us sort of 
thinking about the importance of number sense and really kind of bringing back some of these, dare I say it, basics to the table, but not doing so just through rote, but doing so through this routine. And for me and in my district, we've actually sort of been exposed to some other resources as well. So we'll unpack some of those here today. And we just want to kind of comb through some of the nuance, right? Like John, when you started doing math talks, I think you and I were kind of doing them in a similar way. It wasn't with the Sherry Parish resource, but for us, I think it was using like internet websites, right? Yeah. That's when somebody back a few years ago would say math talk, even number talk back then was I was equating it to warmups. And I think it was like, let's start class with a minds on activity, a warm up, an activity that gets us thinking about number sense. So for me, this was like, which one doesn't belong? We would put the image of the, it could be numbers, right? And we'd say, well, which one of these doesn't belong with the rest? And kids would think pair share with their reasoning. That was a great resource. I use that. I still use that to this day for warm ups. And then there's like estimation 180. There's also, would you rather math from John Stevens? Like these are all the, these internet uh, blog websites that put a ton of resources to kind of get your students engaged talking about math and also kind of justifying some reasoning. Every one of those was about a justification. These are great resources. So I was equating math talks back then with these warm up activities, Cal. Is that, that's not what you were referring to right here, right? Yeah, like I'm going to take it kind of a step further. And I would say, and something I want to preface with too, is like up on my screen here, if you're watching on YouTube, you'll see that we've got which one doesn't belong up here. We have estimation 180. We have, would you rather? There's math is visual. There's all kinds of different resources, which are great. And I would argue that they are a form of math talk. They definitely are because it does get students talking. For me, I think one of the biggest benefits that I noticed by using these websites was actually kind of shifting from this sort of sit and get lecture style that I was using in my math class. And it sort of helped me over time gradually get students doing more of the talking and getting it to be more of a debate, more of a discussion. So I think these are great tools to do that. Some of the things that we've discussed as well, though, is like I sort of found that now I try to build in some of these types of routines into all of our lessons. For example, Estimation 180, we try to build in estimating into every single one of our problem-based lessons, right? So I didn't need to use Estimation 180 as much anymore because we were building that into our problem-based lessons. And something that I noticed teachers in my district were doing for quite some time when they were using the number talk resource was there was like really, I would say maybe even an overemphasis on students doing all of the work in their head. So it was like mental math. And that's great work. It's really helpful. But what I found is that if students weren't there yet, there was a group of students that weren't maybe at the same place as the rest of the students, we would still have this disparity, right? Like some students would be left behind. So that kind of I was thinking to myself, like, how can we do this better? And over time, that's when landing in my lap was this resource by Kathy Fosno called Mini Lessons. And John, I don't know, have you had an opportunity to dive into Mini Lessons at all? Or like, what's your experience there? We chatted with Kathy Fosno on the website. She gave us a good snapshot of what Mini Lessons are. And from her description of them, it's, it's not that I've used her resources in particular in my district or at my school. 
but that idea of a string of problems that are kind of tied together or this idea of these webs that kind of that stretch out. I think that part might be similar, but no, I, we have not used those resources that are in my school. And to be honest, John, like when you and I plan math units and we do our problem-based lessons, we're using a lot of the same elements in our lessons, except here, like, and she calls them mini lessons. So she kind of has this intentional mini lesson sort of baked in there. And it's really helpful to help with number fluency and operation sense. But the part that I really love is the attention that she had paid. And it really forced you and I to sort of open our eyes to this thing that could help a lot of students that might not be able to keep up with the mental math and just sort of being able to do all this in their mind. Kathy Fosno actually believes that when you're doing mental math, you're actually doing the math with your head, not just in your head. And I really like that. And I actually use that line today in every class I went into because this was a new experience for them. And what I was trying to give them the permission to do was to leverage strategies, not only in their mind, but also on paper and models. And those two things were things that I wasn't really paying a whole lot of sense to. Like if you were using the number talk resource, there's definitely strategies baked in there. They have compensation, they have the commutative property built in, they have all kinds of things built in, and they have models at the beginning of the book. But with the mini lessons resource, what I found is that every single mini lesson is sort of crafted with this string of related problems that you had had mentioned there, John, that really emerge. The intentionality is to emerge a big idea, just like in our problem-based lesson, utilizing certain strategies. So we're anticipating certain strategies might come up. Some others will also emerge. And we're going to do our best to help emerge a certain model. When I was thinking that those warmups, which were those website warmups, which were, we were calling kind of like getting kids to talk about math. Most of those are kind of one-off problems, like one-off estimation, you know, one-off, which one doesn't belong. They weren't like a string of problems. So what you're, we were saying, the mini lessons is very focused. It's like, let's develop, or there is developed a set of problems already to go for teachers when they want to tackle a certain skill or an idea or a big idea. And that's a really important idea when you're for a math talk, right, Kyle? Absolutely. Yeah. So when you're going in, there's a lot of intentionality baked in there and you're hoping to emerge something. So I'll give you an example. I went into a grade five class today who I knew hadn't been using this resource. And also I had a hunch that maybe this class had not necessarily been using the area model for multiplication. So there's a string of problems in the mini lessons resource that I can use. And there's actually many of them and they sort of evolve. So this is something you could do throughout the school year. And what we try to do is we try to give you sort of a low hanging fruit to start. It might be a like a fact that most students are going to know. So for example, we started with the context. Context is also important. Context of a box of chocolates. So you'll notice the context I picked, if I want to emerge an area model, if I want to emerge like basically an array inside of an area rectangle, I want to use a context that's going to sort of get kids visualizing that in their mind. So it's kind of like you're leveraging a context to sort of 
help students get nudged down this path without them even realizing it. And then they can articulate to us what their strategy is for three rows of eight chocolates. So I had said, I'm like a chocolate freak. It's Halloween coming up as we're recording this. And I said, although I'm going to be stealing all my kids' candies, I actually am a bit of a chocolate snob. And I like the chocolate that comes in those boxes, you know, the really expensive kind. Right. So I think what I'm hearing right here is there's some very intentional aspects of the math talks that's happening in the mini lessons. Because if you said, let me throw down a bag of candies, that might not nudge. I like the, that you use that word, right? It's like it nudges the kids to picture and visualize the model that eventually you want to show anyway. Yes, exactly. And if you imagine that, it's like if I want an area model, I sort of want something that feels rectangular. If I wanted, for example, to emerge a number line, if I want that mathematical model, then maybe I want something more linear in nature, right? Like maybe it's like jogging, running, you're running a distance and you're like, oh, when I think of running a distance, I don't think of a rectangle. I'm thinking more of like a line. So when you think of these, now, one thing that you don't necessarily get in the mini lesson book itself is the context, but these were sort of crafted within some of Kathy's problem-based lessons. And I think she sort of like pulled some of them out and added to them. So the intentionality is that you're already using problem-based lessons and that you're creating context around them. Let me ask you this. So a mini lesson or a math talk here is starts with a big idea. And this is an idea like I want my students to be able to multiply with an area model, or I want my students to be able to use a double number line to say solve a proportion. Like these big ideas of our courses and our classrooms in our content standards. And then the talk kind of unfolds a strategy, it kind of like nudges a strategy along which will then evolve into a mathematical idea. And there's a string of problems that make all of that happen. Is that fair to say? And if it is, my question, probably what everyone wants to know, if this is something they want to hear about from you and us and maybe from everyone else, is like, is this a full lesson? Is this take my math block from start to finish? Or is this still a warm up? Like, is this still something that I'm doing in 10 minutes? Yeah, absolutely. And I'll be honest and say that you could do an entire lesson and probably early in the process as well. They'll go longer. It's kind of like you and I have talked about notice and wonder protocol. And it's like the first time you ever do that in your class, it's going to take a lot longer because you want students to really become comfortable with the norms and how it works. But I would argue that you can fit these ideas in, in much smaller chunks of time. However, if let's say it's stretching out and students haven't sort of emerged the big idea or the strategy, some teachers get worried like, is this going to take up too much time? And again, I feel like this is one of those cases where you and I say like, we don't not have the time, you know, <laughs> like we have to, if number sense and fluency is one of the biggest sort of pebbles in our shoe as educators, we always say students come to us without enough number sense whether it's working with fractions, whether it's solving equations because it relies on operations like multiplication and division and solving equations on and adding and subtracting on both sides. If those are the big sort of challenges, then you have to start to wonder and like kind of weigh out your curriculum and wonder why are these other pieces here? And a lot of times I think they're there as an excuse to do more number sense. Like number sense is like the big, big one. And 
again, we don't want to just be like drilling and killing here. That's something that I think many lessons in this number talks in this fashion, this math talk idea we're trying to drive home here. I think when you do it through context, when you have that big idea, and you had mentioned, I wanted to go a little deeper on the big idea too, because there can also be an idea. If you think about it, the word that is awesome, and Yvette Lehman, one of our awesome math moment uh, unit writers, she uses the word behavior a lot. And I think she got that from Kathy. She's a big Kathy Fosno fan as well. And the word is like behavior. It's like you want to emerge a behavior about mathematics that like, it's almost like you, okay, let's look at it this way. Okay, let's look at it that way. Oh my gosh, when I do this, this thing happens. When we do this, this thing happens. So in today's number talk, when we did our string of problems, I started with three rows of eight candies. Then I went to six rows of eight candies. Then I went to 12 rows of six candies. Then we went to, I believe it was six rows of, hmm, I may have messed that up. Then we went to, sorry, three rows of 12 candies, right? So you see how we're doubling the second factor. And then we doubled one factor and halved the other. I got to write all this down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I might even need to. So let me write this down here. Everyone listening right now who's like me and who are not auditory learners are like, I have no idea what he just said. I need to draw what he's saying and then I can see it. That's exactly what I need to do, Kyle. And he's actually drawing right now. He's going to hold it up to the screen for me. Hey, Math Moment Makers, Kyle here. And I've got just a quick message specifically for our district-level mathematics decision makers out there. Do you feel like you're spinning your wheels when making district-level goals for mathematics programming from kindergarten through grade 12? Setting new goals each year only to find little to no real shift in pedagogical practice or educator content knowledge across the district as a whole? Take a moment to book a short call with our team so we can learn more about your specific district and educator learning needs in mathematics so we can assist you in taking the first step of many in the right direction. Visit makemathmoments.com forward slash district to book a web call with our team today. We have a limited number of spots for districts just like yours, so don't wait head to makemathmoments.com forward slash district and grab a spot in our calendar now. Yeah, totally. This is what we did. And then we went, interesting. Yeah, so I think, so what we went with was, while you kind of formalize that, the important part here, I think, to know is the string of prompts that Kyle's coming up with they're hard to create because if you have the big goal in mind and you want the model to come out the way you want it so that kids can use it and you want them to kind of develop that model along the way, you carefully have to kind of like, well, you used a phrase before we started recording, Kyle. It was like uh, breadcrumb them along. You breadcrumb them along so that one prompt, it's low floor enough that everyone can get in it, but then you've like turn the dial up just a little bit more and then a little bit more. So it's like you create this string of problems that will build upon each other. And then by the end, it was like, if you started with that one, you would have had to show them all what to do. But because you started with these breadcrumbs, you didn't have to show them anything. No, totally. Exactly. And 
For those who are watching on YouTube, you'll have an advantage on YouTube right now because I'm going to flip my document camera on for my screen just so people can see. So we started with three rows of eight chocolates. Okay. So students in this particular class, they all felt pretty confident with what grade was it again? This was a grade five class. All right. And again, you know, the numbers you choose, sometimes even in the string, I don't even think these were the numbers in the string. I actually looked at the string, looked at the intentionality, and then I adjusted the numbers down just because it was my first time in this class. And I didn't want to come in and potentially, maybe they didn't know this math fact, but I wanted to give them one that I felt confident that they would be able to come up with at first. And then, so they came up with 24, they shared their strategy. And then basically like, I nestled them along to the point where even though students didn't say it, like one student actually said, he's like, well, I know it's 24. And I was like, okay, so how are you going to convince me? And they're like, well, like, I just know it's 24. And it's like, when you think about that, it's like, that's not a bad thing that you know 24. Of course, I want you to know that it's 24. But one thing that is, I guess, a little bit scary is sort of that you know that, but you don't know how you could articulate that to someone. That adaptive reasoning piece isn't there. And I'm sure it's there, but he's just probably never been asked to share the why behind it for so long, right? It's just something that he just knew. But what I need to do is to sort of get their strategy. And then finally, some students said, well, I looked at it as, well, there's three rows of eight chocolates in each row. They were like, I'm going to skip count by eights. And I'm like, oh, great. Can you do that for me? And the student's like eight. And then they kind of pause 16, 24. And okay, so there is my moment where I get the opportunity to try to get this model to sort of emerge. Even though the student didn't say, hey, draw me a rectangle. What I ended up doing was, okay, you said three rows. Is it okay if I draw three rows like this? And then what would I do to do your skip counting? And then the student tells me, well, you'd put like eight in the first row and then you do eight in the next row, eight in the next row. You know, so it's like we breadcrumb them from, oh, here's your strategy. You started with absolutely really like you didn't even think about a strategy, but I've helped breadcrumb you along so that now we've got you to essentially an array, but I'm going to eventually... We're going to eventually leave the actual dots behind. This is just sort of like to get people kind of visualizing the box. And then we're going to continue. And then hopefully they'll be able to leverage the strategy moving forward and the model. Right. Now, let me ask you some structure problems here about what you did with your group today. So with that problem, when you pose that problem or the string of problems, they're all sitting down at their desks. Are they at the boards? I'm trying to picture the way you did this. Great question. The way we did it today, we're still in COVID protocol season. So they were all at their desks and every class was a little different. I tried to fit into their regular routine if I can. So I'm like, what do they have? Do they have a math journal? Do they have a whiteboard? Are they allowed to write on their desks with erasable markers? So it was sort of really, I guess what we're saying is it can look a few different ways. I tend to do these with students individually at their desk. So to me, I look at this as an opportunity before going into, let's say, a problem-based lesson where everybody gets a little bit of time to kind of do a little bit of, we'll call it independent thinking, and then sharing to the group. So that's kind of how I do it. It doesn't necessarily mean that how it has to happen for sure. 
And just to be clear, so when you're asking the student who's describing their three rows of eight chocolates and you're saying, I'm going to draw these rows, that's whole group. Exactly. So I'm doing this to the whole group. And a lot of times the intentionality there on the teacher side is I want to, again, sort of float this model. And I want to leave this up as almost like, again, I could have done this the way I used to teach was I'm going to define what an array is. When we multiply, we draw it this way, you know, but really what I've done is I'm like, I'm taking your voice and I'm going to try to represent your thinking using this model. So I have a very intentional purpose here, much like when we do a problem-based lesson, we have models in mind, we have strategies in mind. So I'm going to try to help kind of pave this path and get students thinking. And then after two, we're going to ask the student like, does this represent your thinking? Like, can you see your thinking in this model? So it's like the questioning is very intentional, not to say, is this how you did it? Because I know the answer is no, because the student said, I just know it's 24. But now we've sort of given them the opportunity to go, do you see your thinking here? And now they're like, well, yeah, I do see it. And then you can ask another student for another strategy and so on and so forth. So asking those types of questions, Kyle, and getting kids to, when you model, I can see that the benefit is that you're introducing them to the model, even though they might not have created that model. And I think we get a lot of questions about that through our Math Moments Academy, but also questions about our podcast and just generally on our Facebook group of kind of thing, like, how do I get kids to do more modeling, right? Like, it's almost like they want to say, how do I force them to use a model, right? And I'm seeing you're kind of like, uncovering it for them. And then the fact that you're modeling it for them will hopefully lead them to do it the next time in that way. And the beauty is, again, and if the string of problems are crafted in a way that they're related and intentional, right? So the next place we went is six rows of eight chocolates. So it's sort of like going to your point about how do I get kids to want to use the model? Well, here, I've sort of dangled this here. You know that this is okay. Here's my three rows and here's my eight chocolates. And it's almost like a lot of students right away, they're like, I can see the chocolate. It's like they know the context. And then right away, they go, even if they're not thinking multiplicatively yet, like they see that, oh, okay, I just need more rows. And this is where we can start extending this model and then we can also then kind of abandon a bit of the array. Like I've shown the array here, but now I might ask the students like, oh, okay, so Tommy says to add three more rows. Another student might say like, take a screenshot of that and like duplicate it, like double it. I'm like, oh, interesting. Okay, so we're going to double that. Is it okay if I, and you ask them for permission, is it okay if I skip drawing the chocolates? Like, is everybody okay with like, you see there's eight in there? And this is where you're helping get them to a more abstract representation. So this is much more, I mean, it's not concrete, but it feels more concrete. It's closer to concrete because you can see it all. But now it's like I'm kind of pushing them. It's like taking the training wheels off a little and we go, okay, so now I have six rows. I wonder how many that's going to be. And almost instantly, students are realizing like, oh, I've doubled my rows. I can see that I've doubled the box of chocolates. So I'm actually doubling my number of chocolates, right? And we start to progress here. And then we move to, okay, how about this one? 12 rows. And I say like, okay, that's not enough chocolates. I want more chocolates. I see another box and I see there's 12 rows. 
And then students are like, 12 times eight is what it's going to be. And I go, but there's four chocolates per row. I'm like, but I have 12 rows. I'm feeling confident. How many people are feeling confident that there's going to be more chocolate? Like we're in good shape, right? And then all of a sudden you start to see some kids' heads turn sideways and they go, I don't think so. Like some students are starting to visualize what's happening here. Oh my gosh, I've doubled my factor, but I've of, of rows. And he's, yes, he's, I've doubled you're my drawing some arrows there. Look at that. It's like I've doubled. Oh my gosh, I've doubled my number of rows, but I've actually halved my number of chocolates. So it's almost like we're taking this piece. I love when someone says it's like you're taking this chunk and you're moving it down here. So I say, oh, so what is the answer? And they say it's 48. And it's like, oh, how many people knew what 12 times four was first? Some kids, okay, sure. You keep extending this and you go, okay, how about 12 and eight? A lot of students are like, I don't know what that is. Or continue extending, right? Continue doubling one of these numbers and they start to see the pattern emerge. They start to see the behavior of math emerge. So here we've got like a strategy of like, okay, so I've got my model. So I've got like an open array or an area model, we can call it. And one of the strategies that we're kind of focusing in on is this idea of doubling and this idea of what happens when you double in and half. If I double one factor, I double my quantity or my product. If I double in half, then nothing happens. And that's kind of interesting because then you think of how you can manipulate any multiplication problem to be easy, right? Like I can do like 18 times eight doesn't have to be 18 times eight. It could be like nine times 16. Like right away, I can leverage these tools in order to make my life easier and make multiplying any number easier, right? Or any two numbers, I should say, easier. Hey there, Math Moment Makers. Are you a dedicated listener? Like I'm talking, have you been listening for a couple of months, maybe even a couple of years? Well, if you haven't taken a moment to leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform, it would mean so much to us. It'll take you under one minute uh, so that you can help more educators see and experience the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. Uh, do us this huge solid. Uh, we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And uh, here is today's episode. I think the important part here is it started with a big idea being you just let us know what the big idea was, this fluency between with multiplication and numbers and doubling and having and how and the relationships there. That's a big idea. One question I think a teachers might have is because it is hard to come up with those strings. What would you say is a tip to give a teacher to say like tomorrow, I want to do a math talk like that. I've got my big idea. I want you to think more general because somebody might be on measurement. Somebody might be doing proportions. Somebody might be doing like solving equations, right? Somebody's doing fractions. So I'm just wondering if you can generalize a good tip to go, look at, I want to develop this string of problems to build the model in, but then also unveil this, the big idea I want to come out. Like that's a lot. Would you recommend for teachers to get started in this? Honestly, it's a great question. I would say to get started is try not to recreate the wheel. Like there's a lot of great tools out there. I mean, we'll give Kathy a, a bit of love here. And 
these mini lesson books. They're available on Amazon. Here they're on Heinemann's website. Definitely worth checking out. I've learned a lot from them. I feel like my practice has evolved in using these tools. Another tool, if you don't want to spend cash, is the Mathis Visual website, right? Yeah, let's come back to that just for a quick thing. But I guess what you're saying is you're at a place because you've done a lot of learning. It seemed like it was so natural for you to be like, I'm going to make this string up of problems because I know I want to double in half. And you had just built it almost like on the spot with us even. And that's just because you have a comfort level of that problem string, which you've learned through these other resources. It's not like you were just like, I'm going to stumble across this and I just whip these out whenever I want. It's like, no, Kyle has read about this through Kathy's program. He's used the resources, the pre-built ones she's already used to help create his own. And that's, I think, what, as a listener, you'd want to grab your hands on. Kyle, we're throwing the link in the show notes. But also, yeah, the Math is Visual website is built for this and it's got a visual spin on it. So when he was outlining the chocolates, he's drawing the chocolates on the board. You can also start your own math talk, but also have all the visuals built for you so that you can put it up on the screen. And so the part of that chocolate array is already kind of nudged in there because the pictures are kind of nudging students to build towards that model anyway. Yeah. And when I create the Mathis Visual website, like I've tried to embed all of this learning that I've done over the years, and I've tried to make it as, I guess, accessible for educators as possible so that it's accessible for their students. So up on the screen for those who are watching instead of listening, you'll see there's a Mathis Visual prompt that's it's about caterpillars. And basically, we give you a visual of what's going on there. There's a pause prompt so the teacher can pause it. And that, like what that does to me anyway, it's like a nice entry point for the educator who might be new to this routine. And they're sort of like, I'm not sure if I'm confident enough to kind of create the context on the spot or to be able to model it. This will give you not only the prompts, but also it gives you like a teacher guide that kind of outlines the different big ideas and what we're after here and what strategies might emerge. So these are here for people to leverage. And this is actually a solving equations. The the one you're showing on the screen right now. Yeah, Yeah. The one that we're up on the screen and basically the equation that emerges 4M plus 2 equals 30. And we leverage a double bar model, which is kind of like a more concrete double number line in order to solve this problem. And we show it symbolically as well. So you as the educator, it's great if you can model it on the board, but this is a great spot for you to almost like get some practice. So you could do this ahead of time. You could show this after, like students can reference it after. And the beauty is, is that all of these newer math as visual prompts are actually a little snippet from our problem-based units that we share on the math moment site. So this is here for you. If you want to go down the rabbit hole, you click on the link and you can do a whole five-day unit that sort of builds on these big ideas and these models. Right. So there's lots of resources out there. You do not have to kind of build your own, even though you might want to try eventually. You might want to be like, once you start to see how these progressions are built by seeing pre-ready-made ones, you might say, hey, I can do that on my next one, or I might give it a shot. And I think that's a great strategy because the more comfort you get with building problem strings is going to be better for you and also your students. But just a quick recap here, Kyle, on building math talks. 
in your classrooms. Big idea, super important, right? Like don't go into a math talk not knowing what your intention is. What is the learning outcome that you are looking to have brought forward? You're going to make sure that you want to highlight a strategy so that you can build in the mathematical model that you want to showcase on that particular math talk. And just to recap what you said, it doesn't have to be a full lesson. It could be a full lesson, but it also could be part of your lesson. Absolutely. Absolutely. Those are huge ideas for myself. Again, I look at them as more intentional than just like an average warm up. And another piece we should also mention, it doesn't necessarily have to lead into today's lesson. And you'll notice if you go to our website and you look at the problem-based units that we have, if there's a five-day problem-based unit, we don't necessarily put a math talk on every day. If it's a problem-based unit lesson, we usually use our notice and wonder as sort of our warm-up routine and get kids estimating. And then on day two, when we're planning to sort of go deeper with more purposeful practice, that might be a great opportunity to do one of these math talks because then you're sort of setting the stage. You can drive home a point that we learned yesterday and sort of build on it and then give students a little bit of time for purposeful practice. You could pull a small group and ensure that students are where you'd like to see them and kind of nudge them along their journey. And then maybe the next day you go into another problem-based unit. So there's no hard, fast rules on it. But one thing that we now believe is that we can leverage these math talks as an opportunity to drive home this number sense fluency and operational fluency. I don't want to be, dare I say, donating some of my class time because we all, everybody says they don't have enough time. So if I'm going to just do a random routine, because like for, we'll call it engagement purposes or just to get kids talking, that's great. But I think we can build that into other aspects of our lesson. If we keep them contextual, if we keep them problem-based, then I might be able to save some of that time. And I might be able to insert maybe more of these intentional math talks so that my students can build these strategies, build confidence too, right? Like the confidence kids have when they're solving pretty complex, or we'll say big multiplication problems with big factors or division problems without long division. Like these are skills that we're giving students so that flexibility builds, that confidence builds, and they can articulate what it is and why it is that they're doing what they're doing. I think that is such a gift that we can provide students. And when I'm back in the classroom, which I hope is in the next year or so, I want to be doing this, like I say, as often as I possibly can. Awesome. Great stuff there, Kyle. Thanks for sharing your insights on Math Talks. And uh, hey, what do you think? Is this something that you're going to give a try? Is this something that maybe grab a partner, grab a colleague to kind of try this with and say, hey, look, let's plan one together. Or I'm going to plan one, you plan the next one. Like, let's do that. You want to try to make sure that you're not doing this alone. That can make a big difference is making sure that you have someone to chat about with. And if you need somebody, we are definitely available. Hit us up on our social media. We are at Make Math Moments on Twitter or Instagram. We have a free private Facebook group. That's a great place to ask a question because the members will jump in even before Kyle and I even probably even get there. Usually that's the case is that you are rescued with any questions you have on anything that you have been trying in your classroom. So hopefully you will try Math Talks 
this week and let us know how it goes. You can email us as well. Awesome. Friends, listen, if you're listening on a podcasting platform, hit that subscribe button, especially on Apple Podcasts. That will help us reach an even wider audience of math moment makers just like yourself. We want to make sure that all educators around the globe have access to high quality professional learning. And this is just one way that we hope to help meet that goal. Uh, If you're on YouTube watching right now, well, hello, I'm waving to you right now. Look at that. Hit that subscribe button and also hit the notification bell. That will let you know when a new YouTube video comes on. So not only do we do the podcast every week, we've got a new YouTube video coming out each and every week. That's nice and short. And it gives you uh, some tips. We actually had a recent uh, YouTube video that we shared, which was a clip from one of our Q&A sessions with our Academy members where we were doing a math talk, but we did the math talk with the group of educators and we sort of worked through it with our teacher hats on and our student hats on. And we talked about all or some of these elements as we've heard here in this episode. Awesome. We will put those in the show notes, which you can find with full transcripts from our episode here at makemathmoments.com forward slash episode 156. Again, that's makemathmoments.com forward slash episode 156 to get links from this episode. All right, my friends. Well, until next time, I'm Kyle Pierce. And I'm John Orr. High fives for us. And a big high five for you. If you are a district leader of mathematics, a math coach, a math curriculum coordinator, a superintendent and principal, getting teacher buy-in for effective math teaching practice is top of mind. And plans only go so far. You can make you know detailed plans and, and carefully designed goals with clear objectives and key results that are measurable. But that can feel like it all falls flat if we can't engage our teachers in the work. Working with teachers who do not want to change their teaching practices is one of the most frustrating and challenging parts of our job. How do I help teachers engage in effective teaching practices when they keep pushing us away? If you can't reach the tipping point in mass adoption of effective mathematics teaching strategies, then it's it's likely we won't see student improvement in mathematics. We have a free training uh, an accompanying workbook for leaders of mathematics like you. Uh, the, math, the Make Math Moments team, myself, John, and Kyle, walk you through our four-stage process uh, we use with district partners to create clear, measurable, sustainable PD action plans, but more specifically on how to also get teacher buy-in so that it drives student engagement. So step one, register for this free training, get your planning workbook, um, and then watch the training. Schedule some time on your calendar so you can watch it and go through the workbook. After completing that workbook, you're going to have a clear, measurable vision, action plan for mathematics to get more teacher buy-in, but also be able to hit your goals for the 2024-2025 school year. So head on over to makemathmoments.com forward slash four stages to start this free training.